This morning's reading comes from Luke chapter 10 and it can be found on page 983 of the Pew Bibles if you want to follow it. And this is a story really that Jesus told about putting love into practical action and it's known as the parable of the Good Samaritan. So Luke chapter 10, starting at verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What's written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So, too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he travelled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. (coughs) He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. When I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. This is the word of the Lord. A moment's prayer. Quieten our hearts, O Lord, and help each one of us to hear your voice speaking to us. In Jesus' name, amen. My mother came from Northern Ireland, Ulster, where 12th of July was celebrated every year as a bank holiday 
Why 12th of July, particularly? Well, way back in 1690, an army from the Protestant north of Ireland defeated in battle the Roman Catholic army from the south of Ireland, alongside the River Boyne. The Battle of the Boyne, as it was called, was on the 12th of July, 1690. For a time, as children, my brother and I had a nanny called Ethel. She was Irish and was the daughter of a farmer from Ulster, the north. Incidentally, Ethel herself was one of 15 siblings, all from the same mother. I remember her telling us how some of her older brothers, together with other teenage Protestants, boys from the village, would celebrate the 12th of July by burning down a haystack or two belonging to some of their Catholic neighbours. The Battle of the Boyne was some 250 years before yet racial prejudice and religious differences can often fester into mutual suspicion and hatred that continues for centuries. In the current Brexit negotiations, the Irish backstop is a point of real friction. I sometimes wonder if for some people there are conscious or maybe unconscious echoes back to the Battle of the Boyne with its folklore history. Illogical, perhaps, but nevertheless very powerful. My mother was a mild, gentle person, but I think she could never quite, to the end of her days, trust a Roman Catholic. When Jesus told the apparently uh, spontaneous and innocuous story of the Good Samaritan, it was in a similar kind of emotional background. Jews and Samaritans shared a lot in common, but yet their relationship was tinged with mistrust and prejudice going back centuries. But now the story itself. St. Luke gives us the barest of bare bones. So let's allow our imaginations to roam just a little freely. There are four principal characters in the story, and we look at the story through the eyes of each of them. The first character, who is of course pretty central, is the traveller. He's on foot, walking along the remote hilly road, going from Jerusalem, which was about 3,000 feet up, down to Jericho, as more or less sea level. And in the story, he gets ambushed by a gang of thugs. He's knocked unconscious and left half dead. 
They even steal the very clothes he's wearing, as well, of course, as any possession and possessions and papers he may have had in his rucksack. Very soon, the flies would be buzzing round his head, perhaps settling in the blood that had trickled down his face and was hardening in the sun. He would be drifting in and out of consciousness. He probably vaguely thought, well, this is it. It's the end for me. Nobody's going to find me here. Then he heard a noise. Was it footsteps? His heart leapt. Thank, thank God, I'll soon be out of here. Gosh, I'd give anything for a drink. The steps came nearer, and he realized the walker was just a few yards away on the other side of the road. Oh, God, no! The steps didn't stop. They continued and then began to fade away into the distance. He tried to call out, but his mouth was too dry and all that came out was a faint croak. The feeling of panic swelled up in him again as he saw the back of the man disappearing down the road. Through his swollen eyes, he vaguely registered that the man was wearing long priestly robes. As instantly recognizable to him as a clergy person's dog collar is to us today. The passerby was indeed a priest, on his way, I guess, to a very important clergy conference. It was maybe essential that he get there on time. His boss, who was due to be there, couldn't stand people being late. And although the priest felt a twinge of guilt and conscience, this his thought was, well, first things first. If he wanted that good new job, being late could just tip the scales against him getting it. So he couldn't stop to see if this man at the side of the road needed help. It may have been hours later, we don't know, perhaps just a few minutes. Time didn't seem to mean anything to the beaten-up man lying under the hot sun in the gutter. Then, once again, there were footsteps, and once more his heart leapt. Hope lightened his despair. The footsteps paused briefly, but then continued, and the awful truth dawned as he saw the man's back receding down the road. He was, in fact, a Levite. Levites were one of the historic Jewish tribes who had responsibility, historically, for the furnishings and upkeep of the Jerusalem temple. 
probably also with the temple finances. A very prestigious appointment, perhaps a bit like our church commissioners today. He reckoned that a bleeding, beaten-up stranger lying in the gutter was not his responsibility. Other people could do that. Besides, he'd got an important business meeting in Jericho awaiting his arrival. What could matter more than the roof repairs to the temple that was on the agenda? Can you, I wonder, can I, identify with any aspects of either the priest or the Levite. You and I are very unlikely, I hope, to encounter a half-dead, near-naked stranger lying by the roadside. But do we, I wonder, have a tendency to walk away from some needy, lonely colleague at work? or maybe a person like that living a couple of doors down the road. Maybe we think of all sorts of reasons why we shouldn't get involved. Perhaps the person is different from us, a different social background, a different uh, present and way of speaking, a different race and colour, just not my type. Surely we can leave that person to somebody else. Maybe in some ways there are times when we do identify with the beaten up man. When we feel terribly alone and vulnerable and frightened, when life seems to have no meaning and I'm just not coping, Perhaps when I get feelings of despair and there's no one I can share it with, people seem so busy, tied up with their own agendas, sometimes when I may feel like giving up. The beaten up man must have drifted off to sleep once again and then was woken by the clip-clop of a mule or a donkey close beside him. He managed to half open his eyes. The rider on the mule or donkey was getting off. Then he felt an arm under his shoulders lifting him up. And then a bottle was gently put to his swollen lips. He gulped down mouthfuls of warm, sweet wine. He felt his wounds being gently dressed and bandaged. Perhaps this stranger on the mule had a few spare clothes in his baggage and didn't hesitate to tear up a spare vest or a spare shirt to dress the man's wounds. New strength began to flow into him as he struggled to his feet and somehow, with the stranger's help, got up onto the mule. Maybe I'm going to be okay after all, he thought, as hope began to return. Then something 
jolted him. This stranger with the mule wasn't a Jew. He was a foreigner, an immigrant from another country with an odd, unfamiliar accent. And growing up as a Jew, he'd been taught to be careful with foreigners. You can't trust them. They're not like us. Don't get involved, perhaps his mother would say. But this foreigner who got off his mule seems okay. More than that, he seems really kind and helpful. Maybe I need, he thought, to look again at some of the prejudices he was carrying around from childhood. Before too long, they reached a country pub. The foreigner checked in. Two beds for the night, and he then ordered supper for the both. Although the beaten up man's body was sore and aching all over, I guess that that night he slept like a log. In the morning, he happened to be near the reception desk, if they had those then, and overheard this Samaritan immigrant settle up for the B&B. And furthermore, he heard the innkeeper let the beaten up uh, traveler stay a few days longer, just on the Samaritans uh, depositing two silver coins and promising to foot any extras uh, when he next passed on his return journey back to Jerusalem. There were no credit cards then. The Samaritans' generous spirit was catching, even by a hard-nosed innkeeper. How far can you, how far can I, identify with that foreigner who has gone down in history as the good Samaritan? He wasn't mean-spirited, just the opposite. He trusted the innkeeper to be fair in his bill for the extra day or two while the beaten-up traveler recovered his strength. What a brilliant little story, isn't it? And then Jesus' final word couldn't be more simple. Go and do thou likewise.